You're listening to Operant Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This month on the University Series, we are speaking with University of Nevada, Reno, or more informally, UNR. And today we have a very large group of faculty and students. So without further ado, UNR. So today we are talking with UNR, and I'm very excited about talking with the program today because we don't just have one, we don't just have two, we have five. We have faculty, we have students, and I'm very excited for them to explain some of the updates that have been happening with the program. And because we have so many, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. But thank you all for talking with me today. And let's introduce everyone. I'll go first if that's cool. (laughs) Uh, My name is Matthew Luan, and I'm an assistant professor here in the behavior analysis program at the University of Nevada, Reno. I'm uh, Bethany Contreras, also an assistant professor here at UNR. Hi, um, um, I'm Ramona Homenfar. I'm the professor of psychology and director of the behavior analysis program at the University of Nevada, Reno. Hi, my name is Keon, and I will be a third-year doctoral student um, in Dr. Ramona Humanfar's lab. My name is Kathleen. I am a master's student uh, working with Dr. Contreras. Welcome, everybody. Thank you again. And I'm going to actually pass it right over to you to give a general overview of the program. I'm going to go ahead and provide a brief overview. Um, I think it's a important to provide a bigger context. We're at the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, This university serves over 20,000 students and growing, and uh, we have 30 graduate degree programs and 70 undergraduate degree programs. And uh, our Department of Psychology is located in College of Science. Uh, We have three graduate degree programs in Department of Psychology, uh, starting with clinical program and um, cognitive behavior science program and our fantastic behavior analysis program. We have 31 uh, faculty members in the department, approximately 1200 undergraduate majors and over 130 graduate students in various uh, department programs. And the behavior analysis program currently have six full faculty members and uh, we are training over 40 graduate students at this point. This year marks our 31st anniversary of of the behavior analysis program at UNR. We're very excited about it. We were awarded the original enduring contribution to behavior analysis, organizational enduring contribution to behavior analysis by the Society for Advancement of Behavior Analysis in May, 2010. We have conferred over 80 PhD degrees, which is um, astonishing. And the on-campus master's program has conferred over 80 master's degrees and the satellite master programs has conferred over 100 off-campus master's degrees in multiple national and international locations. We are uh, among the first group of graduate programs to receive the ABAI accreditation over 20 years ago. And our undergraduate training in behavior analysis was the first program to receive ABAI accreditation in 2016. In terms of our objective, um, we are uh, well known in our comprehensive training and behavior analysis out of which more specialized basic applied and theoretical interests that can be developed by students. And the comprehensive nature of our training is reflected across areas of theory and philosophy, 
basic experimental research and applied research plus extensive uh, experiential training uh, that uh, we all offer across our areas of the specializations. Our focus on theory and philosophy is reflected in courses on radical behaviorism, behavior analysis of language and cognition, relational frame theory, and seminar in uh, psychological philosophy. Uh, this includes our emphasis on conceptual developments and applications reflected in the course on behavioral systems analysis. And the interest in basic and experimental research is highlighted by our courses on principles of behavior, research methods, and the experimental analysis of behavior and experimental analysis of human behavior. And last but not least, our training and applied behavior analysis is reflected in materials covered in such courses as behavioral assessment, behavioral interventions, and behavior management and consultation. In terms of areas of training, it's vast, uh, but I'm just going to highlight a few uh, that captures our experiential focus for graduate uh, students uh, across master's and doctoral. We focus on developmental disabilities, including autism, special education, distance education, instructional design, organizational behavior management, including performance management and behavioral systems analysis cultural behavior analysis, and acceptance and commitment training. So this is pretty much the overview that I think is good to put out there in terms of the focus in areas of a curriculum that really dictates the research that we conduct across our labs. Um, but in terms of the lab and the specifics of it, at this juncture, I believe we want to sort of give some examples across the labs that uh, reflect Bethany's work, Matthew's work, and my work. So at this juncture, I'm going to turn the um, podium, uh, invisible podium, to Bethany Contreras. <laughs> Hi. So I'm going to give just a, I'm going to attempt to give a little bit of a brief overview of kind of the way I'm seeing the research happening here across all the faculty. And then I'll talk about mine more specifically and then pass it on to Drs. Luan and, and Holman Farr. Um, so, of course, they can give you all the details about their work. Um, so, like, Ramona had mentioned we we have a breadth of training is in terms of our our coursework and our practical training but also our research um, which is one of the things that uh, I think is very cool about our programs our research kind of we, we span the three main areas of behavior analysis so there's um, some labs focus a lot on the philosophical kind of concepts and approach to behavioral science. And so that you would find a lot of that in um, Dr. Linda Hayes' lab and also in Dr. Luan's lab. Um, we have folks working on basic research, both with animal and human research. Um, so there's opportunities to kind of do research in a mouse lab, also human offering research, looking at things like delay discounting um, and reinforce like kind of effects of parameters of reinforcement. A lot of that happens in Dr. Losi's lab, who are, um, is another one of our faculty. Um, and then, of course, um, Dr. Steve Hayes, his lab does a lot of work in kind of the complex language and cognition, really looking at like the RFT and um, kind of influence there and, and things related to ACT. Um, so that's a, a really brief overview, I think, of um, kind of the span. And of course, Dr. Hammond-Farr's research kind of circles around this OBM kind of um, area performance systems and looking at things related to culture and whatnot. So she'll talk a lot more about that. In my area, I'm very much an applied person. So I do a lot of applied research. So I kind of hit that realm of things. 
I, my expertise and kind of area of interest is in developmental disability, uh, working with children with autism and related disabilities. And I put a heavy emphasis on skill acquisition. Um, I tend to work with younger children doing a lot of early intervention. And I'm very interested in like, how do we build early language repertoires, early learner repertoires, kind of really gearing these little guys up to get ready for just a life of dignity, autonomy, and independence. And so looking at research towards that. Some specific areas I really dig are response variability as it relates to, to, to autism and how individuals with autism will move through the world. Um, and so that's an area I'm really interested in. And I also have some kind of pet interests in kind of teaching and higher education and how we can bring behavior analysis to do that really effectively. Um, and then another area is evidence-based practice of applied behavior analysis. So starting to dive into like, really what is the definition of that and what does it mean and how do we do it as a process? Um, and I, I don't know, I feel like that's a okay overview of my research. And Kathleen, actually, do you, do you have anything to add? You've been hanging out in lab for a while now. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate um, that Dr. Contreras also um, includes a lot of important ethical discussions that are going on in our field right now. Um, and brings attention, you know, um, important issues that are going on and we can have an open discussion about that. So it's not, while the little guys are important, we're also <laughs> tackling some really um, big and cool um, things in lab. So I, I always appreciate those conversations. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, so my, my read, like I obviously, in lab we focus a lot on the research aspects, but I do, I, I, I'm very, um, I don't know, I like to bring in discussions on, on some bigger topics. So for example, topics relating to, um, to, to racism or to um, kind of the autonomy and dignity of neurodivergent individuals and having these bigger conversations that maybe we're not producing scholarly work, but we are talking about it and seeing how that can be pulled into our work and how we can engage in our research and our practice kind of um, in the best way possible. And I mean, there's just so much going on, especially currently with some ethical issues that are going on in the field. And so I, that is absolutely important. And I'm very happy that Kathleen, that you brought that up. So I'll actually go ahead and toss this off over to Matthew, so you can kind of fill us in on, on your research stuff. Yeah, thanks. Um, so my laboratory and my research has kind of been focused in the basic and conceptual domains. And with respect to basic research, uh, I'm the faculty advisor for the Animal Behavior Laboratory, uh, where we do research on basic learning principles with mice, which is really fun to work with them. They're very cute. Um, and within that area, it's kind of, there are kind of two major subcategories of the work that we're doing. The first is uh, a lot of research on motivating operations. And so we're looking at how uh, motivational and emotional variables affect other things like discrimination learning, maintenance and generalization. Uh, one of the areas where we've done several recent studies is looking at the effects of motivational variables on relapse phenom phenomena like resurgence and uh, renewal. Uh, but one of the things that we're we're doing that I'm that I'm really excited about is uh, a series of studies on state-dependent learning, and so the general idea is that is that sort of the motivational condition in which you learn a skill um, 
kind of acquires some control over that behavior and it's less likely to generalize to over to other motivational conditions. Um, and so that's something that has a lot of cool conceptual sort of implications, but it also has some translational implications for, you know, we, we all encounter this problem of the generalization of what happens in treatment to the real world setting. And so we're hoping and thinking that some of these basic studies will have some translational value in illuminating some of these processes that we, we these challenges that we encounter in our applied work, because even though I'm doing a lot of basic work right now, my background is in an applied work. And so I've, a lot of my applied interests have fed into basic interests. So the other, the other main area of basic research that we're doing is also very exciting to me. It's interdisciplinary research with uh, researchers outside of behavior analysis who have mouse models of human conditions. So we've done a study with some people looking at a mouse model of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And um, we ran them through a battery of, you know, quote, finger quote, don't kill me, cognitive assessments, right? All operant learning things, right? To sort of, because cognitive impairments are present in about a third of individuals with muscular, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And so uh, we found some interesting differences between uh, these muscular DMD mice and control mice. Um, and we've also, we are now going to be doing a project coming up soon where we're looking at a mouse model of autism. So that's been a really interesting thing to figure out. How can you model autism in a mouse in a way that has some validity, right? So we've been spending a lot of time putting together something that tries to look at the fundamental learning processes that we assume to be related to the behavior's characteristic of autism. Uh, and then in a conceptual domain, uh, my work has been sort of focused on translating basic research to more complex things, right? And again, there's the issue of validity. Um, there have been a lot of people talking about, well, what, what can a mouse tell me about what this kid I'm working with is doing? And so a lot of my conceptual work has been, you know, thinking about how we can translate what we do in the laboratory um, in a way such that it has some meaningfulness for, you know, larger real world concerns. So I think with that, Ramona, it's, it's your chance to talk about your stuff. Thank you, um, Matthew. Well, um, my uh, interests have been dictated um, over the last 20, almost four years of my career here at UNR as a faculty member um, by my interest in uh, behavioral systems analysis um, and uh, cultural behavior analysis. And uh, over the years, um, uh, these two areas of conceptual interest have uh, guided um, a series of conceptual uh, analyses that my team and I in Performance System Technologies Lab have tackled that uh, have guided um, our work in relation to work of colleagues, uh, pioneers in cultural behavior science and contextual behavior science um, to sort of capture our analysis of complex phenomena in organizations and beyond. So the role of language and, and cognition and robo networks uh, are foundational to um, our discussion at the conceptual level. 
um, and uh, analysis of rule governed behavior in organizations have, has been a, really a very much of a focus of our work in my lab. And in many ways, all of these interests have guided uh, what you can say is translational research in a sense that we, our interaction with uh, interdisciplinary colleagues in medical education uh, and engineering um, have allowed for us to really bring the complex phenomena, tackle them at the basic manipulation level to capture the role of language and cognition and verbal networks in areas of uh, cooperation um, with the focus on emerging um, um, and frankly dominating area of analysis pertaining to implicit bias, bias in general, um, a certific uh, uh, responding um, that really um, is becoming a focus of also engineering group. Uh, they are uh, capturing our work uh, through some of the recent NSF grants that focus on um, AI bias, our artificial in intelligence. And it kind of makes sense that you think about, gee, AI bias. Well, uh, we know that artificial intelligence is, is designed by humans. So there is a definite inter uh, AI and human and AI transmission of bias, particularly in areas of gender and uh, race. And um, colleagues from College of Engineering have solicited and are now working with my team and I on um, tackling um, uh, cooperation between human and AI and AI and human teams moving forward that has huge impact in areas of cybersecurity and beyond. So, so this whole area is basically capturing of how we have come through the University of Nevada Reno's work across an array of research labs uh, to capture um, the role behavior science plays in interdisciplinary um, expansions. And uh, being housed in College of Science gives us that sort of a context uh, to, to, to develop our relationships uh, with colleagues across different units. And I'm extremely excited to, that um, our colleagues here, uh, uh, Matthew and Bethany, um, uh, offer the areas of, of work um, uh, that it absolutely resonates uh, to other units on campus that will allow for us to really uh, play a big role in, in Department of Psychology and what psychology brings to College of Science. And uh, there's a lot that we are going to be doing. And, um, and uh, uh, I just want to highlight that we're in the process of hiring new faculty members here. So this sort of a move toward um, recruitment of uh, colleagues with interests that really map onto the theme that here at the university, again, giving them more of a bigger context of where we are and what is demanded of us, that in many ways trickles down to the way our students can benefit from our interdisciplinary alliance with other units on campus and also how we bring this to our field through Association for Behavior Analysis International and other uh, 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 scientific platforms to really inform our colleagues and also be informed by our colleagues from other programs. But it's a very exciting phase in our program and uh, there's more that we would definitely uh, bring to you guys in terms of updates moving forward. So we hope that we can do more of these podcast in terms of uh, uh, updates and, and uh, really bring more of a here we are now as we move forward to our audience.
Well, and I'm so excited that all of you have talked about this because when I have personally, you know, learned when I learned about UNR and looked into UNR, it's always been, I've always viewed it as this cutting edge program that's pushing the boundaries and really like seeing what else is out there. What else can our field do? And whether that is, like you said, like, I mean, like all of you just talked about, it's, it spans the map. You, you have the entire spectrum of the science of behavior, whether it's experimental, OBM, I mean, applied, it's there, but you're trying to push the field forward. And so I'm so excited that all of you just explained that because that's probably though, that's one of the main reasons I was so excited to talk to all of you today is because that's how I have always viewed UNR is as pushing the the boundaries and, you know, going out there and seeing what else our field can do. Thank you, Kat. And one thing I want to add here is that as part of this sort of an expansion of our training, uh, we are among the first group of, um, I believe, seven programs, six or seven programs internationally that um, is offering a sequence of courses, uh, a verified uh, course sequence in cultural behavior science that allows for us to train students to bring that training and uh, completion of a certification and that um, really maps onto their work that is absolutely uh, uh, more than ever relevant given um, how we have come to realize the role of um, um, behavior science in terms of ways uh, in area of resilience, adaptation, and, and how we can really capture analysis of phenomena uh, from a behavioral change perspective at the cultural level and, and I would definitely want to make sure that people are aware of this sort of a gradual kind of shift, not shift, uh, expansion um, of areas that um, Association for Behavior Analysis International is, is um, offering and is coming to us and a few other programs uh, in, in actually internationally to, to really uh, set the stage for others to really come to see the value of behavior science and behavior analysis in, in a cultural behavior science. So that's uh, important to highlight. I went to the cultural behavior science conference this past year, and I, I absolutely loved it. I'm so happy that you brought that up. It's been amazing, you know, hearing about the labs and a lot of the research that's going on. And I know that you partially talked about it, but what are some of the, the practical, the practicum internship opportunities that UNR offers? Yeah, so we um, kind of offer, I feel like the, the array of practica also matches on with our array of teaching and research experiences. So you can kind of earn practica and experience in all these different areas. Our goal is really, we want to like find out what do our students want to do, what are their goals, and then get them the experiences that are going to take them there, to be successful there. So if you're aimed towards you want to go more an applied route, then we're going to get you applied practicum experiences. If you want to go more of an experimental route, then you're going to do practicum experiences that are going to prepare you for that. If you want to go work in industry doing systems analysis work, then that's the kind of experience you're going to need to get. Um, and so I think we do a, a nice job getting students those really high quality practicum experiences. And I've, I am fairly new here. This is my first year. So I'm still learning about some of the experiences myself. And some of from talking to students, like 
this is something I've heard from every single student. Like we get to do such cool stuff and we are just really well prepared to go out into the world and do these things we want to do. And I, um, I think I've heard that from current students and graduates of UNR. So I, I think that that really resonates. Um, in kind of my world, the applied world, as far as practicum experiences go, I'm working on opening up a university-based clinic um, that'll be located on campus where we will provide services for children um, with autism and to their families. And this will be a place to provide high quality services to the community, but serve as a training site for our undergrads, our masters and our doc students, because there's so much involved in applied work, right? So we'll be able to offer practical training in, in that applied work, the kind of clinical work, um, the working with children, working with families, doing training, designing um, pro assessments and programming and making those clinical decisions, but also doing clinical research. And I think that that's a piece that that's something I'm very excited about. This is my, this is the reason I'm working on the clinic. I want to be able to run research studies in the context of our clinical services and have students learn how to do that process because it's definitely feasible and we can get some great research out there. So um, that'll be kind of one area of practical training that I, I'll be involved in and directly supervising. Um, Matthew and Ramona, do you want to jump in and add to that? Yeah, sure. So some of the practica that I oversee, the first is, like I mentioned, um, I run the Animal Behavior Laboratory. So students who are interested in doing basic work uh, get a lot of lab experience in, in that setting. Uh, you know, animal welfare stuff, um, dealing with the IACUC, which is the body that oversees the ethical use of animals, uh, programming, data analysis, all those sorts of things. So um, there's that. Um, but I also have some applied practica that I oversee as well. And one of those is the behavioral education and consultation services. And uh, that is a program where we provide consultation services uh, for teachers and students in Washoe County School District here, here in Nevada. And so it's a good opportunity to, for students to uh, have the chance to not just do direct service, but also deal with the challenges of working in a school district where you have to kind of impart your skills to uh, a third party. So there are lots of um, students that said they've really enjoyed that because, you know, most of the students who graduate are going to be doing that, you know, they're not going to be doing direct services, they're going to be training people and consulting and stuff like that. So uh, and then we also have some practica at Nevada state agencies to provide services uh, for people in the state. Um, one of those is in the rural regional center, which is very, very cool. We have a student who's down south in Gardnerville. And so that works perfectly for her. She has a real passion for um, helping out people in rural locations, which in Nevada, there are, there are a lot of those. Um, so she encounters some interesting challenges there and it's a good professional experience. So those are kind of just a smattering of the things that kind of I'm overseeing, but Ramona can tell you about, she has some really awesome opportunities too. <laughs> well, those are all awesome across the board. Um, again, we're having, um, um, uh, like we're providing an opportunity of, of samples of what's offered here at UNR. Just want to highlight that there are other amazing opportunities uh, that are offered through training and satellite programs that are led by Dr. Linda Hayes and uh, the work that uh, Steve Hayes, Dr. Hayes uh, does in the area of acceptance and commitment training 
and therapy um, um, is also uh, very much uh, um, there in terms of different arrays and uh, of, of applications. Uh, and um, um, also our colleague, uh, Dr. Losi, Matthew Losi, um, offers um, uh, training in area of, of, of uh, teaching and also uh, experimental laboratory work. Historically, had a um, uh, rad lab uh, uh, with colleagues at the University of Nevada, Reno Medical School, and um, does a lot of right now work in area of delayed discounting and um, and uh, other uh, related topics. In terms of what um, I um, have come to offer to doctoral students and and few master students who actually come to uh, be trained at the doctoral level with me is to sort of bring him in contact with, um, uh, let me start with first with the work we're doing at the leadership training level. Uh, we've uh, focused on uh, bringing um, uh, sort of a, a more of a behavior scientific lens, behavior analytic lens in, in um, design of uh, interlock behavioral contingencies and other associated ways of managing major systems in medical education to um, top leaders in University of Nevada Reno Medical School over the last 10 years um, and um, have been very much um, um, uh, involved as you could say partners and it's more of a collaborative partnership, if you will, to design their curriculum to promote more of a uh, value-based approach uh, toward engagement uh, with uh, uh, with medical teams and also eventually uh, uh, patient care and all, with the very much of a focus on uh, ways we can bring a management of implicit bias as pertaining to self-estigmatization in the form of burnout, stress and burnout, and how management of burnout in many ways can set the occasion for us to be able to manage our uh, biases uh, toward our, the social stimuli, our uh, people around us, if you will. Um, and uh, this sort of a approach has been captured and dominated and brought into the curriculum design at UNR Med right now. And we're uh, launching expansion of our training at the faculty level. So that captures the systemic ev evolution of this approach that uh, allows for them to sort of appreciate acceptance and commitment training as a, as a skill development approach. Uh, to manage biases toward one's uh, own sense of vulnerabilities and, and fears toward <laughs> environmental changes and also and promote more flexible repertoire, moving from rigid to more flexible repertoire uh, pertaining to one's own uh, experience, uh, psychological experiences that sets it up for one to manage uh, the way they interact with others in their work environment, personal life. So this sort of a balanced view of how this approach, acceptance commitment approach can promote psychological flexibility that can guide our uh, um, uh, well-being uh, inside and outside of work. It's like a way to manage our lives, if you will. So, so that's the approach that is adopted at UNR Med and is expanding. And right now they are lodging and they already have affiliated with Renown Health, uh, which is the biggest health system in Nevada. And um, they have uh, developed um, a very long-term relationship to bring um, a residential training, a clerkship and residential training to, to their medical students. 
So it's a very established to, to move forward <laughs> uh, partnership. And, and the work we're doing in area of resilience and adaptation and burnout management, and again, management of biases, cooperation, team dynamics, and in different areas of biases that really are capturing the way they're training their medical students throughout the medical education. And once they move on to the professional settings is taking our approach as we speak potentially in that sort of a movement toward what they're doing with renowned system. Now, this is like an evolution of it. So, so the students like Kian <laughs> with us here is very much involved with that project. Um, um, uh, our partnership with um, another uh, senior doctoral student, Ali Sharko, who's uh, about to de defend her dissertation, actually working uh, on a dissertation project at UNR Med which um, uh, is basically a simulation-based approach to analysis of engagement and situational awareness uh, that uh, is uh, captured through analysis of students and what is called standardized patient, which is a hired actor, if you will, to be coming into a simulation to act in certain sort of a scenario-based ways to, for then the audience to be able to measure a student's engagement with this individual with these certain type of characteristics. And in this case, their professionalism, their respect, and then let's capture, hey, if we could, uh, uh, from a behavioral perspective, measure from an objective perspective using our established coding uh, system that's been developed across our uh, uh, projects, their uh, communication engagement uh, and, uh, uh, that is reflective potentially of uh, the implicit bias repertoires that we actually have come to assess through the use of implicit relational assessment procedure, which is established tool that's been uh, introduced by Dermot Burns, uh, Dermot Barnes Home and colleagues, and of course, Steve Hayes and that whole camp in contextual behavior science over the last uh, decade or so. And we have developed a variation of it here with UNR Med that has really guided uh, the assessment part of what we're doing with them. And I don't wanna really go too much into it, but um, my students, uh, are very much entrenchedly involved with this uh, partnership and uh, development of it over time. And um, one um, area that is very much relevant to our work that Keon is working on is the cultural humility and how do you go about uh, defining it, uh, operationally identifying it, and, and how uh, does this sort of a fuzzy phenomenon <laughs> can be captured from um, more of a robust way of thinking about psychological flexibility and how from that platform we can discuss it, we can uh, offer ways for us to assess it and, and measure it and provide systematic approach. And what we do with them is very much driven by longitudinal data analysis. Um, and it's again, a research group, implicit bias research group that we're a part of with, their, uh, with our colleagues at UNR Med that is pretty much a research hub and unit at UNR Med that we're proud to, to be involved with. And um, another interdisciplinary of, uh, of kind of area of opportunities, the work we've done with engineering colleagues that we um, have a, established a contract with a global energy company that um, has been with us over the last seven years. 
And uh, we have broad leadership training, executive and middle management training in area of uh, behavioral science that focuses on safety and health and other areas of um, uh, systemic management in, in, uh, in this uh, global group. And that has offered um, extensive training uh, for our doctoral students. Again, Kion is engaged with that project right now as well. And um, at this juncture, um, I'm again, I just recently came to, to receive the great news to be a co-PI on an NSF grant that uh, brings uh, my students and I to do the work, as I mentioned, in area of AI bias. And again, this is research focused. And, uh, and foundational to all of this is about how we go about um, I, um, 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 operationally describing, defining cooperation and, and capture cooperation, in this case, AI and human, and then of course, human dynamics, cooperative uh, 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 dynamics in teams in general in organizations and beyond that is really affecting our work with the colleagues right now and, and um, a college of engineering and cybersecurity particularly. I've been an affiliated faculty, actually, a, a, a member of the cybersecurity center since it's uh, a start uh, about six or seven years ago. So uh, that has allowed for our networking with that, with that group of colleagues that uh, has really guided our, our involvement um, at the research level. So what you, can, what you can tell from what I'm highlighting here is a very much a research driven approach to experiential training with me. Um, and that is um, basically uh, dictating what's happening right now at this juncture in my performance system technologies lab. And I think I'm gonna stop here and uh, turn uh, the podium. I think Matthew wanted our students to say a few words. At this Matthew read my mind because I was like, this is uh, hearing all of hearing all of this, it just re reiterates what I just said about, you know, you and our being on that threshold there, you're always pushing into these other fields and getting and getting this research, connecting, networking to these other fields and really getting into the, I always had this inkling in the back of my mind. I've had so many friends from who are engineers of some sort. I'm like, we would work so well together. Yeah. Absolutely. We would work so well together. And so hearing that, I was so excited when you started talking about that. But yeah, I think this is a great time. I would love to hear from the students who are here about their experiences in the program. So I will, I actually started my practicum over the summer and I'll be going into the fall and the spring uh, doing it uh, with Dr. Ramona Humanfar. Uh, she mentioned the global energy company uh, that we're working with, and that's where I'm placed right now. Um, and it really is a very unique and exciting uh, opportunity. Um, it's just one of those opportunities that is rare and you just don't hear like programs having these types of opportunities. So I won't go into all the details, but more the ones that I'm more excited about. I think the biggest thing that is exciting for uh, for me is not only getting a, a real look at the day-to-day -day, um, like interactions as like what you would do as an OBMer, because that's always been something that I felt like has kind of eluded me through all, I've always been interested in OBM, but I've never had an opportunity to be kind of like a, 
you know, even like a fly on the wall in the room of someone who's an OBMer and be like, well, what do you actually do? I've read so many articles about interventions, but like, you know, it's, it's like, if you, if you work with clients with autism, that's a lot different, like working eight hours a day and knowing what that is versus like, okay, I know how to intervene on this problem behavior. You know what I mean? So that part has been very exciting for me. But also something that I'm very excited about is the way this is set up is it's almost as if um, it's putting me in a position to practice being like a thesis advisor, because part of what we do is um, we train some of these engineers who work at this company to uh, basically be OBMers, right? So we um train them the basics about behavior analysis and how to intervene on uh, issues that come up. And then they start their own projects through our guidance. And um, as a, as even as, as a student, we get to be one of the people who are guiding these people. And it's almost as if I'm like a thesis advisor, you know, because it's like, this is going to be months and months of a project that they're working on. And they come to, they'll come to us for the advice and we'll have ran into this, um, this issue, how do I get around it? How do I measure this thing? I'm, I'm having problems getting buy-in, all those types of things that, you know, if you were a master's student or working on your thesis that you would go to your advisor for. Um, and I've never really heard of anything in a program that offers something like that. So I think that's a, that's a really cool opportunity there. Um, not to mention all the other things involved in such a unique experience. Um, but I've also been lucky enough to have a variety of experiences already, not just through the practicum, but my, my work placements. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations with my advisor, who Dr. Ramona Humanfar is my advisor, about, I'm, you know, I, I feel it's, you know, in some sense, it might even be like something that um, some people might see as something that's a little negative, that I feel like I like to touch on everything. I like to get experience and everything. And I haven't really you know, I'm, I'm not like, this is exactly what I want to do. And that's it, you know. So I've been lucky enough to have an advisor who's allowed me to dabble in a lot of areas. So over the past two years, I've been able to teach, you know, I've been in the Sci 101, where it's not just teaching the students, but it's also we have these um, undergraduate, like TAs, who we also teach, and we also act as mentors too, And we also have a day where they're the ones teaching and we kind of train them up to be able to teach. So it's a, it's kind of an interesting, more complex kind of environment for that, um, um, that educational piece. So I'm not only teaching the students and getting over, you know, the anxiety of standing up in front of a, a class and going on and on about a topic. Um, but I'm also getting the, the experience of kind of mentoring students who want to do the same thing. So that was really exciting as well. Um, and then also I've, uh, had an I've had an opportunity, which I'm still doing, uh, is working with UNR Med uh, as a research assistant. Um, and that's really cool because, I mean, I always think about like how cool it is to get paid to learn and get paid to teach. You know, you just get paid to like talk about really interesting things and that's a really good gig, you know and getting paid to like literally research something that you're already interested in, you know, or analyze data that you think are interesting. That's a really good gig. So I've, I've really appreciated those opportunities. And uh, like Dr. Human already mentioned with like the cybersecurity and all that kind of stuff, I'll be involved with that 
in the fall. Um, so it's one of the things about UNR really is, and it's already been touched on, so I don't want to, you know, beat the dead horse on this, but there's opportunities that I just haven't heard of anywhere else. Um, and honestly, I've, um, I always knew that I love my experience at UNR, especially because of all these types of opportunities, but I've, it's actually like, it's exceeded my expectations to be honest with you. Um, and I've developed a lot more interests that, I mean, it's kind of weird because like I already have a broad area of interests and since coming here, I've developed an even broader one almost, you know, like I've become a lot more concerned with like philosophical issues and stuff like that. And I've become a lot more in touch with how do, how do you, how do philosophical issues matter on a practical level? How do you relate philosophical issues to an applied level? Um, and anyway, I'm getting to a point where I'm getting on a rant, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to Kathleen. Yeah, thank you, Keon. It was um, I appreciated hearing what you had to say, kind of about the OBM side of things, because I um, all my practicum experience has been applied, um, so it was interesting to hear about some of those opportunities there. But in terms of the practicum, um, I like what you mentioned, Keon, about graduate students getting to work with undergraduates because that's kind of how I got interested in the program in the first place is I, um, my first job was an undergraduate at uh, behavior technician at behavior education consultation services or, or BECS. Um, and at the time, Dr. Larry Williams, who's now retired, uh, was our, was the program director. And I just had such a positive experience working with the other graduate students. They seemed really passionate about what they were doing. And um, they really enjoyed taking the time to mentor and teach and train uh, the undergraduates there. Um, and their passion just kind of got me like, oh, you know, I, I want to learn more about uh, this program. And um, I really appreciated, again, the wide variety of experiences that were offered uh, to me at that time. Um, Bex actually had like three um, clinical uh, operations going on under the umbrella of Bex at the time. We had that contract with Washoe County uh, that Dr. Milan talked about. We had a clinic uh, for adults with intellectual disabilities. Um, that's where I got my start. And we had a clinic for children with autism. And so, and I got to work at all three um, at one point or another. And so it was a really well-rounded experience, I felt like. Um, and that's something that I uh, really appreciated and especially the emphasis on integrating clinical work with research. You know, so many of uh, fellow graduate students got thesis projects and dissertation projects that came about um, through their clinical work. Like me, for example, uh, my thesis is um, kind of stemmed from an assessment that I worked on with a one of my first clients um, as a case manager at the uh, autism clinic. And so, uh, I just really appreciated uh, that. And it has been cool. Now I'm working with uh, Dr. Contreras, uh, helping to get her uh, learning center prepared, hopefully to start seeing clients in the fall. And it's been cool to see that side of it, you know, how to get a project started. And um, so, yeah, just really fantastic uh, practical experiences for sure. I just want to jump in here and add uh, an, an aspect of the practicum experiences. So as Kathleen has been working with me to get this clinic up and running, um, I think I've learned as much from her as she has learned from me. So there's this cool bi-directional learning aspect and we give our students quite a bit of space to like function 
not independently in the sense that you're like out floating off on your own with no support, but independently in the sense like you get to bring ideas and like, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And um, so like, it's, it's bi-directional um, in my experience anyway. And I, I think I've seen that and heard that from other students. So I, I also, I just had to give a shout out to Kath. I would not be as far as I am and we wouldn't be ready to pull in clients if Kathleen and I had not been working together on this. So our, our students are learning a lot, but they're also so valuable to the, to the work that we do as faculty to be able to like just do the cool stuff that we get to do. And it's really great to hear. And especially coming from the students about working with, you know, the undergrads and, you know, I understand that it's part of the task list now, but to know that that's been in place for so long that you're really fostering future mentors is something that I personally really like to hear because I think sometimes it can be, sometimes people forget that as supervisors, that we're, you know, the people we're supervising are going to be future supervisors. And so I love hearing that from, you know, directly from the students. So that was wonderful. If we refer to this approach, we have referred to it as junior mentorship model uh, that allows for our students to really know from moment one when they apply to our program through admissions process and when they come here that our innovation, uh, our innovative approach, let's say, cannot be innovated without um, this sort of a free operant way of engaging students with what we do. And there are collaborative uh, team members and, and there's no autocratic, you do what I tell you, micromanagement of it, because without that freedom or like uh, sort of flexibility to engage students, then we cannot push the envelope. And, and I do think that has been a foundational to our program going back to the start of it in 1990 to now. Um, and um, the co-founders, uh, Steve and Linda Hayes, uh, really brought that perspective to, to us and we are maintaining it moving forward. And uh, as you know, our history is self-capitalization and we started our program um, on <laughs> that sort of a note. And, and without working with our students, uh, uh, generating funding to fund ourselves as students, now we all have 10 year track, 10 year positions and all, but this is the history that really is foundational to how we are operating now. Even this, we have the funding for faculty, we still have that sort of a self-capitalized approach, as you can see with Bethany uh, and all of us, of uh, going out in terms of outreach uh, approach, as well as other sources of funding to get students engaged and push the envelope and expand. So that is a theme that goes back to our beginnings to now. Well, and to add to that too, it's not only, you know, making sure that the program is self-sufficient, but also that is such an amazing lesson to teach students on how to start all of this be and how to, if you want to do something, go out and do it, mm -hmm. find a way and we will go out and do it. Um, not a lot of people, you know what I mean? Like that's a hard thing to learn unless you have physically been taught how to do that. And that's, I mean, that's a question I see all of the time, you know, on social media and this and that it's, people are always asking questions like that. So I love hearing that that the students of UNR 
not only are they engaged in these projects, but they're also learning how to upstart them and maintain a pro start a program and get it going from the ground level. So that's absolutely amazing. Thank you. And then I think too, Ramona, you kind of brought it up. I think this is a really good transition point. You said right from when they apply and I'm, you know, I've learned a lot about application processes through this. I was, you know, very, you know, had my blinders on because I was used to Western's application process. Um, and I have a feeling that you and ours is kind of similar. So what is, you know, what is the application process? Are there interviews? What, you know, what does that look like? Sure. Yeah. I'll tell you all about that. Um, so I'll start off by saying that um, a lot of this info that I'm going to talk about here is on our website. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff on there. So please check it out. Um, just Google UNR behavior analysis program and it'll come up. Um, but the gist of it is uh, we have one admission cycle and applications for this are due on December 1st. And if you're admitted, you would start the following August. Um, in terms of what we request for your application, um, transcripts, GRE scores, CV, personal statement, and three letters of recommendation. And this is a question that I get um, from a lot of people who are interested in our program. Um, you know, what makes me a good candidate? I'm worried about my GPA. And I might say this a couple times more, but uh, we evaluate uh, applicants on all aspects of their application applications. So there's not necessarily any one feature of it that's like a deal breaker, make or break sort of thing. We, we try to look at the whole candidate, um, all, all those things that I just mentioned. Um, so like I said, applications are due each year on December 1st. Uh, we have an interview weekend every year in February, which is, I think, a really cool thing to be a part of. Uh, certain candidates, so we look at all the applicants and we select um, some of them to come to Reno to see the campus and meet everybody in the program. And so interview weekend uh, involves, of course, interviews with faculty as well as students. So we really try to involve students in the admissions process. Uh, applicants will attend a research fair that we hold, which uh, one representative from each faculty's lab will present some of the research that they're doing. Uh, and then, of course, we have a social event where all the students can get together uh, and the applicants can meet all the students. And so we are really proud of this. And it's been a tradition for, I think, I Maybe, maybe you can tell me, Ramona, I think since the beginning of the program, has yes, we always had this? Since the beginning. Yeah, okay, cool. And it's, it's really, I think, like a signature sort of experience, yeah. you know, because uh, when I was applying, I, I, the other programs didn't have anything quite like this. So I thought it was very interesting. Um, but, you know, the, the whole purpose of this, um, and I think the thing that makes it unique is that it gives the faculty and the students who are already in the program and the applicants an opportunity to interact to sort of evaluate the fit on both sides, you know? So 
we get to know the applicants, but the applicants also get to know us and see where they would be living because that's a really important feature of making a decision about a graduate school is that you feel good there socially and you like where it is, you know, and Reno is a very beautiful place. So I think we, we have a, we have an advantage when we get them to come here and they see it, you know, it's hard to say no. And of course, Tahoe, the hidden jewel. Tahoe, yes. <laughs> Lots well, of hiking. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a question I have too, because when I think of Reno, I have my assumptions. <laughs> so what, what can people expect from Reno? Well, I'll start because I'm already yapping anyway, but, um, you know, there are the casinos here downtown, which, which are really fun, actually. You know, we have this beautiful downtown area that's, it's so fun, you know, lots of really cool restaurants, even if you're not into gambling, really cool restaurants, lots of fun entertainment things to do, you know, cool bars and stuff like that. Um, and there are, there are some hotels that don't have anything to do with casinos as well. But, you know, they're, they're, it's really, you know, I got here in 2010 and I've seen it progress across the last 11 years. There are some really amazing restaurants, really cool night spots. I mean, anything that you could want to do, you can do here in Reno. So um, I don't know anybody else wants to add that, that, that to me is my favorite feature of it. Actually, um, um, our, uh, one of our pioneering colleagues, uh, Dr. Patrick Gezi, who actually uh, was uh, the source of training in the area of early childhood autism, also had a very established interest uh, in basic area of research and analysis of gambling behavior. It's a very fascinating uh, area um, uh, from different vantage point, behavioral economics or, you know, uh, uh, other sort of a solid Skinnerian inner behavioral ways of capturing the phenomena. So it's a fascinating area. And of course, delayed discounting, <laughs> very relevant to it. So, um, um, but, but, but just to highlight Northern Nevada, Washoe County and Reno uh, in the middle, of course, here, of course, Carson City is our, our, our capital here, which is uh, um, uh, not that far from Reno. Um, is experiencing transformational change. There are many major global companies like Tesla has its uh, major uh, battery uh, factory, which is the, actually is the biggest uh, factory in the world in terms of square footage. Um, and uh, of course, Microsoft uh, and Google. So may, a lot of the technology companies have moved to particularly this part of uh, Nevada that is really transforming Reno, particularly into more of a tech uh, Tahoe <laughs> uh, recreational and tech uh, uh, hub of Nevada and then leaving Vegas to be Vegas basically um, in terms of more of the uh, entertainment and gambling, seriously, uh, 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 part of Nevada. So it's a fascinating change. And having been here for so many years, I mean, watching it happen and and forces uh, downtown uh, Reno is transforming as we speak. Every time I drive through it, something else has changed. And the university is actually buying out parts, big parts of downtown. So it's getting closer toward downtown uh, to really highlight the university and, and uh, public sort of sectors interaction 
and much more directly. So you see all of that happening as we speak, which is fascinating to watch. How about the students? How about yeah, Kathleen? And, 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 yeah, and Kathleen, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, where are you, you know, are you from the area? What, um, you, what I mean, like, what did you think about moving to that, to Reno? I'm not from the area. I, I'm originally from Fresno, California, which is quite a different place, I'd say. Um, and yeah, like before I came to Reno, to be honest with you, um, the only like image I have of Reno is Reno 911, you know, that, that show. <laughs> and that's not a very pretty image, to be honest with you. You know, that's not, doesn't paint a pretty picture of Reno. It doesn't do Reno justice, certainly. I was only interested because I wanted to come to UNR. You know, I was dead set on coming to UNR. But when I got here, I was very pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much time, so I'll just stick to two topics. Um, number one is uh, the food is really good. And I think that was already touched upon. And I, I, I live downtown and there's like, if you open up Yelp, you know, like, and you know, you see like where all the restaurants and stuff within like how much distance, like within like 0.1 miles, there's like 50 restaurants around me, you know, and uh, there, there's tons of really good places. There's a really good Korean place. There's a really good Indian place. Uh, right near me, you know, and I love that. Um, the other thing uh, that caught me by surprise or that I wasn't anticipating, I guess, is um, it, it's really, there's a lot of art around and it's really like aesthetically pleasing, like especially relative to where I came from. There, where I come from, it's like, you know, a regular town, you don't like see art on the street, you know, that would be, that's that struck me as like, something that really stood out when I came here, like across the street, there's like this big statue of like this horse, you know, and there's all these little like art pieces that I'm told apparently like some of the stuff comes from like uh, festivals, like Burning Man and stuff like that. And like, I remember when I first got here, like I'm a, I'm a big Doctor Who fan and I like on the side of the road, there was like the, the TARDIS, like it was just that, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but that's this, the spaceship that doctor, the doctor goes through and it looks like a telephone box, but someone had painted, you know, just this little object into a TARDIS. And I feel like that's all over the place. There's all these regular objects that get painted into something really aesthetically pleasing. And it's, it's, it's cool to live in a place like that. I've never lived in a place that it's like, wow, things are always changing. And there's always these little art pieces that are swapping out for new art pieces. And I know I only said I'd say two things, but there actually is a third, like every month there's like a festival type of a thing, you know, there's like a new event. COVID has put a damper on that, but like just recently, you know, there's this like sidewalk chalk event where everyone's like doing art and it's like really cool for kids and stuff like that. Like I've, I've got a nephew who's been visiting here and like he's obsessed with this place now, you know, and he would love like the sidewalk chalk and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I'll pass it over to Kathleen since I've probably gone a little long. Yeah, well, I'm from here. So, well, from a, a more rural area, like 30 miles outside of Reno, then I moved to Reno for college. But, um, but yeah, I completely agree with everything Keon said. There's always something fun going on. Um, I know food keeps getting brought up, but there's a fun rib cook-off uh, that happens every year, especially during the summer. Like, things are usually popping right now around here. Uh, we have fun, like, hot August nights where you can go look at all these cool old retro cars and we have a motorcycle event like street vibrations that's what that's called um 
and yeah, it's just super fun. There's also a fun theater community. If anyone's interested in like plays and things like that, um, I go see a lot of plays. We have really good local actors and actresses, and that's a lot of fun. Um, and Lake Tahoe, which has already also been mentioned, but that's a really fun place that's super close uh, to go. It's absolutely beautiful. There's stuff to do year round outdoors. And if you don't want to go as far as Lake Tahoe, we have beautiful hiking trails here and lots of places to ride bikes and stuff outside. So if you're an outdoor person, I think Reno is for you. But if you're indoor and want to eat yummy food, Reno is also for you. And if you want to have a like try your skiing and and winter event uh, like adventures while they're here we're going through the climate warming as we speak you know here you go you got the chance to take I was gonna add that the one thing that hasn't been brought up is the the, the, the wonderful snow that comes with the Sierra Nevadas and the cool thing is Reno's down in the valley so we don't get a lot of snow but it's 45 minutes to the ski hill and it is we got we had one storm with four feet of snow like getting out in the snow in the winter time is what keeps me a sane person year round. And so this Reno's like, it's like got it all. Yeah. It's a cool place. I lived in eight States and I can say this is a cool place to be. And of course you are three and a half hours away from San Francisco, which is one of the most beautiful places on earth, like top five cosmopolitan uh, uh, cities in the world. And here you go. And also <laughs> just to highlight. Oh, not to belabor this, but I do have to say this. The airport here is one of my favorite features about living in Reno because it's really accessible from almost anywhere. And it's the easiest airport to get in and out of, you know, like some of those big city airports. I used to live in San Francisco. And so I was thinking about SFO and what a nightmare it was getting to and from <laughs> that place and getting picked up and literally like you just drive in and you drive out. It's so awesome. I love that feature of it. And they are constantly redesigning it to capture the Tahoe and um, sort of the Sierra sort of image of it, which is beautiful. So happy that you, that everybody brought up food because, um, one of my favorite pastimes, I, and I love that you brought up the different seasons, you know, what it actually is. People think I'm crazy. I moved back to Michigan in December. So people think that I'm crazy, but I love, I love the snow. So, um, so Bethany, I'm very happy you brought up snow because <laughs> I, I love, I love snow so much, which is weird. Yeah. Most people are like, that's bizarre. I know. <laughs> Oh, it's not bizarre. It's fantastic. Bethany. Yeah. And um, like I said, when people think of Reno, they probably just assume very similar to like a smaller Vegas is kind of what I've heard people assume. And Mm -hmm. the location though of Reno is, is very ideal. Like all of you just described, it's, you know, it's kind of tucked away and you, you're just, within an arm's reach from all of these different things. So just to highlight, sorry, sort of very quickly to highlight, University of Nevada knows is among the tier one Carnegie sort of universities in the United States. So we attract uh, some of the most outstanding pioneering scholars across different areas of of, of, uh, uh, global topics that come to campus. So campus itself has a very, how do you say vital uh, sort of a um, atmosphere, if you will, and and you know, a lot of students actually 
uh, stay on campus and engage with the activities because it is uh, constantly uh, reflecting different areas of, of, of uh, you know, national and global topics. Again, scholarly art, you know, being part of it, music being part of it, but it's a very fascinating community, scientific community that we're very proud of, of being part of, just to highlight that part as well. Well, and I've definitely heard the passion from the faculty, from the students. It's been, it's been great learning, you know, more about the intricacies about UNR. <laughs> and we've covered a lot. We've covered, you know, faculty, research, practicum, student experience, location, application process. Um, I just want to open up the floor now. Is there anything else that anyone would like to make sure to reiterate or tell us about UNR? Okay. I, I was actually because uh, Dr. Luan mentioned like the accessibility of like the airport and stuff. And that kind of reminded me of one other part that I really like ever since I moved here. Uh, I, like I said, I live downtown and like the university is super close and everything I need is super close. Like, I, like two minutes for me is like a smog test and stuff. Everything's super convenient. I like when I first moved here, um, I lived here for about like six months before COVID hit. I only had to fill up my gas one time because like everything is so close that I basically just bike everywhere. I can bike to, I can bike to UNR campus in like 10 minutes. It's super convenient. And I've always, I've always like, when I was a kid, I always said like, I would love to live somewhere where you don't have to drive, you know, where you could walk everywhere or bike everywhere or something like that. And it's just, yeah. you know, easy. And like me living downtown, it's totally like that. If, if I, I could totally survive without a car if I didn't want to. Excellent comment. That's cool. Thank you. Um, the only other thing I was I had written down, and I don't know if you think this would be valuable. I get a lot of questions from people about sort of what makes a successful candidate, you know, or a successful applicant, or what we look for. I would Just, love that. Okay. <laughs> After interview weekend, then we then we kind of decide. We look at the candidates. We we look at their applications in full, and like I said, we kind of look at all aspects of it. And so, one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, you know, like what would make me a, a successful applicant to the program? What are you guys looking for? And so, you know, I'm going to repeat this and say, well, well, we look at everything, um, but more specifically, you know, we we kind of expect candidates to have decent GPAs and GREs. We take those, we do take those into consideration. Uh, but like I said, that's not the only thing that we look at and it won't necessarily be a deal breaker because we're looking at the whole thing. So one of the things that a lot of successful applicants have is um, significant experience. So either doing some clinical work and or research in behavior analysis. Uh, of course, strong letters of recommendation uh, a clear personal statement describing both why you're interested in studying behavior analysis and secondly, why you're interested in studying behavior analysis at UNR. And then sort of related to this, I think that the number one thing is a good fit between your intellectual interests and who will ultimately become your faculty advisor. So right now we're admitting people on a program model. So you're admitted to the program generally and not to a specific faculty advisor. And you're invited during your first semester to visit all the faculty labs and check them out to see the, 
you know, sort of the intellectual environment, the advisement style. Um, but, you know, that being the case, everybody kind of has an idea of who they might like to work with on the basis of their intellectual interests. And so I think the biggest tip I could give anybody who's interested in, you know, applying for our program, and I think I, I would extend this to say more generally any program, is to do your research on the faculty and the labs, read the research that these people are producing, and then if it's in line with your interests, contact and try to meet with that faculty directly. You know, we have Zoom these days, so it's easy to do that sort of thing. And if you do that, you can establish a relationship. You can see if they're accepting students. And then you might be able to talk to them about what their expectations are or what their advisement style is. Because, um, you know, aside from just talking about UNR, like I said, it's, it's important that you're happy where you go because you're going to be spending a lot of time with the people and in the place where you decide and graduate school's tough sometimes. And so you want to be really happy where you are. So I hope that's helpful. No, that's great. And thank you so much for saying that. And I'm very happy that you reiterated that. It's not just about finding, you know, the biggest, best, brightest program. Like it has to be a good fit for you personally. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons behind this episode in this podcast series is because, you know, not every program is for every person. Absolutely. So, yeah. Does anybody else want to make sure to say anything about the program? All good? Well, I just want to end by thanking all of you for waking up, you know, bright and early, your time. <laughs> and meeting with me and talking about the program and really showing what UNR is all about. So thank you all so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for doing for, this. Absolutely. We're very much appreciative of your support and your engagement with us. And once again, it would be great to update this podcast every now and then to sort of um, highlight where we are, because as I indicated, we're moving forward with hiring new faculty and as you would imagine, with the new uh, faculty, uh, we will have new updates to offer. Um, but this is a fantastic first uh, um, sort of a sampling of, of what UNR is about. And we are very excited uh, uh, to share our updates uh, in terms of our, the next phase of our program evolution as we move forward. And thank you again for giving us this opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the University Series. And as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us at operantinnovations at abatechnologies.com.